0: Well, thanks to uh, Evan and Daly for kind words. We appreciate that so much. There's a passion there is to really help people to hear the Word of God, apply it, live it out, but not just to hear a, a series of isolated sermons, but to begin to get a sense of how the Word of God fits together. So, for those that are relatively new and uh, newer students in particular, we'll let you know that we try to walk through the whole Bible in some sense every four years. And so, uh, this semester, New Testament typically in the fall, and typically Old Testament in uh, uh, the spring and summer. And uh, so, this, this year, this, this fall, we looked at Ephesians and talked about especially reconciliation in Christ to God, but also to one another. And now we're looking at Jesus, and we're really coming at how do we live out a real servant lifestyle day to day. So we're going to talk today about being with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Uh, Where is our true home, and what does that mean for right now? Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's out of Luke 9, 23. And what does this mean? So let's pray, and let's look at it. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would take words from 2,000 years ago in a very different culture and different situation and help us to see what indeed these words mean today and help us to understand how to live out a life of actually following you in our world today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus calls disciples. We'll look this morning at what are the responses to Jesus' call the first response to his call is to recognize Jesus. So what happens here in, uh, in every synoptic gospel, we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptic gospels because they have the same view, right, from Greek for sin and, and, and optic, optical, right? They have the same view of the life of Jesus and then John being a little bit different. So all three, the, uh, the kind of the pinnacle moment is when they recognize who Jesus is. So look at Luke chapter 9, verses 18, 19, and 20, where this happens in the Gospel of Luke. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Hmm. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Peter gets it. He recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, and two things follow in every synoptic gospel. Jesus, uh, Peter confesses who Jesus is. There's immediately a call to discipleship, and then there is the transfiguration of Jesus in front of um, Peter, James, and John. In every single gospel. So it's one of those cases where we think it probably really did happen. You know how the gospel writers kind of arrange things. But in this case, in all three are just tight together, right? And so it looks like it probably really happened in that order. So this happens. He confesses Jesus as Messiah. Then read verses 22 to 25, and especially verse 23. Then he said to them all, Well, actually, let's read verse 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So he tells them Jesus is going to suffer rejection and death and then resurrection. And then he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And then Self-denial is fundamental to the discipleship call. Now it's interesting for the gospel students uh, the word daily is uh, not in all of your greek manuscripts some texts probably because they're kind of conforming to matthew and luke they leave out daily so again in other words luke is the one that emphasizes that that denying of self and taking up taking up your cross that's every day and that fits because again Luke is the one who, his, his gospel is a discipleship manual. It's like, here's how to do it, right? Here's how to live it. And so he's emphasizing that daily. Now, here's the thing that's ironic in preaching a passage like this to North Americans. For Jesus and the disciples facing the possibility of death like the people we prayed for earlier today was not a spiritualized experience die to yourself. it was like you are going to take up your cross you might lose your life in fact all 11 of the 12 well uh, of the guys that you know survived not counting Judas 10 out of the remaining 11 did in fact we were pretty sure were were killed John was allowed to die as an exile they lost their lives so you know giving up your life like for a christian in Sudan or uh, the Korean that are still in uh, the country of origin, the possibility of death is real. But for us, probably they're not going to kill you for following Jesus here. You might get a little embarrassment or, you know, somebody snub you. Taking up our cross, we have, I think, correctly spiritualized it, recognizing that what we need to do is, we need to die to ourselves, right? We need to slay the sin in our lives daily. To take up your cross and is to pray, Lord, kill in me anything that opposes Your glory, right? Do that, Lord, daily. I'm uh, in my 60s. Been walking with the Lord since uh, 18. I'm a pastor and I study the Bible. I still have to slay my old nature daily. Right? It's not, you don't grow out of that spiritually. You slay, you you die to yourself daily, take up your cross, and follow Him. Normal, not superstars. Normal discipleship is to follow Jesus where He would go. Now, this is just an application, this is not preaching the point specifically for you, but on one of the mornings I was reflecting on this verse for myself, instantly, instantly, a face and a person came to mind in my life who is particularly difficult to reach. And I realized that for me, the application that day, if I was gonna follow Jesus, it was going to be to walk toward that person with the gospel in some way right? And so this is not just a theoretical, I offer you my life, Jesus. Okay, great. All right. Now I'm going to do my day. No, it's to follow what, what, you know, what is Jesus? In John, it says, Jesus said, I do what I see the father doing. Some of us need to begin to pray and say, Lord, give me insight and understanding what are you doing around me, and I see what the Father is doing, and so then I am following Jesus in the ministry to which he's called me. Now, we're gonna see that there's a couple different ways that this goes in terms of application, but first, look at verses 24 and 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, this is crucially important, there is a paradox in life. You cannot save it. It's impossible. You try to and it just slips through your fingers. Right? You cannot the nature of life is you can't store it up. You can't put it in a bank somewhere. That's not how life. It slips through our fingers. Can you store up pleasures and experiences? No. You can have memories of them, sure. That's okay. That's great. But you cannot actually store that. We kind of think we can store up money, but even that really, it just keeps flowing in the economy. You, you really cannot save your life. It's impossible. He's stating a reality here. Life is to be lived, not saved. I'm a little like Greg, and that's a problem, isn't it, Greg. Because, you know, I'm always think in the next project, the next, the future oriented. But Jesus, I, you know, I remember one summer, every once in a while, I just need to read a whole book of the Bible all at once. I like to break it down and study. But I'm just read it, right, sit down and read it. I read the book of Matthew and it just hit me. Jesus is never in a hurry. I mean, he had to save the whole world. He got a lot of stuff to do. No, no. No, he's never in a hurry. Why? Because he's watching what the Father's doing. And, you know, sometimes you see the big ministry opportunity and he's focused on this little kid over here. Never in a hurry. Why? You see that you're following Jesus. He's not trying to store up something. He's just, he's going to live his life. He lived that way. He showed us how to do that. When we give up, when we live our lives, we say give up our life for Christ. Not really, right? When we live our life for Christ, we tie into eternity to what's going to matter forever and we actually do save our life, ironically, he says, for eternity. I, I really, I know this makes some people nervous when I say this, but you know, I mean, like we really don't know that much about heaven, okay? Just get over it, okay, so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it really is very mysterious. We don't really exactly know how this thing works. You know, in, you know, outside of time, in the fourth dimension, I used to be a math major, you know in the fourth dimension, okay, whatever. I don't know. But we do know that he's letting us in on a secret, that we can't hang on to our life. But if we lose it for him, somehow there is something that lasts forever. You know, people are like, oh, it's such a hard call. It's, it's not a hard call. It's reality. You can't save your life Anyway. You lose it for him, and in some mysterious way, the impact of your life is stored up eternally. You're not giving up anything that you can hang on to. Therefore, he says, what good is it to do to gain the whole world and lose your very life? He makes us bold, the man, because your eternal life is at stake. So here's how it applies. And there's, there's, once I see what is offered, I can suffer any loss knowing I have Christ and I'm at peace. And it's not like, oh, I'm going to make it. And it's like, no, man, (laughs) no, I've got Jesus. I've got, I don't even fully know what it looks like, but I've got eternity resident in my being So here's where we wanna say this so clearly and so compassionately, and we're all the same. There are things in your life, and you know what they are, and they're slightly different for everyone, but they're dark, they're ugly, and sometimes you're tempted, and maybe sometimes you slip into them. It could be sexual, could be how you look and think about things, It could be what you say about others. It could be flashes of anger where you tear into people. There are all kinds of things. There's darkness there, right? What we have in Christ makes it worth it to do what we need to do to kill those things off. It's not by our human effort, but we do have to cooperate, we have to want to be changed. You're forgiven. Hallelujah. So you don't do it to, you know, oh, God will like me better. No, he loves you already. And in Christ, if you know Jesus, you are forgiven. But he then says to disciples who know him, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then follow so that the darkness that you face in your soul, it's unique to you, but it's not unique to you because we all face it if we're going to be disciples, friends, we're going to have to learn how to encourage one another in denying the darkness. Deny fleshly indulgence. Deny a passive lifestyle. Anything that prevents you from making disciples. So the first response is to recognize Jesus. Now, some of you said, well, you left something hanging there. I did. It's coming. Don't worry. There's another response, and it's actually rejecting Jesus. It's not a good idea, obviously. But uh, just so you get the context of the whole passage, look at uh, uh, same chapter, 50, verse 51. And uh, at the time, as the time approached, V says, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up into heaven, uh, and that's okay, but it's, it's literally, uh, where is it? At, at, at the time of his days, of being taken up, right? It's, it's so in other words, uh, NIV is interpreting that, but what he means is Luke is seeing, or Jesus is seeing his death, resurrection, and ascension as one event. And so he's realizing the culmination of his life is coming, right? And so here's the shift. Peter's confessed to him. His disciples know who he is. The shift is coming, he says. So as he approached this time, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, So Bible commentators call this now the Jerusalem narrative, going to Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem with Jesus on the Jerusalem road, something like that, right? Okay, so here it is. This is the key structural element in Luke's gospel. He resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. This is the journey to Jerusalem narrative. Jesus' life is coming to a climax. Now, for those, again, there's a little bit of, you know, Bible study here real quick. So... Here's where Luke takes, Amy told you about Q if you had her for, for Gospels. Here's where Luke takes almost all of Q and he just lifts it up and he dumps it in his Gospel right there, boom, <laughs> in one chunk, which Matthew breaks up into four teachings on, five teachings on discipleship plus one rebuke of the Pharisees, all right? So, uh, so he just dumps it here, the material that he shares with Matthew, in other words, which Matthew divides up, uh, but, but here's the deal. This is the core discipleship material. I I really would say, if you're a small group leader, you could actually take uh, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Luke 9 through, I can't remember where it shifts back again. But anyway, you know, it's it's about 10, 12 chapters here. And it really is just, it's how to become a disciple of Jesus. And so um, there's one last kind of more Bible study thing I want to say before we go on with the sermon here is that notice in Luke 9, Verse 1, Jesus sends out the 12, right? And they go out and do ministry and they come back. That's parallel to Matthew 10. Okay, cool, great. Chapter 10 of Luke, look at verse 1. Only Luke has this. After the 12 go out and come back, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. What's that saying? Probably the 12 disciples each have a small group of five or six people they are training, probably, something like that. You see what we're saying here? Again, Luke is the discipleship manual. And so what Jesus did with the 12, he's equipping the 12 to do that with five or six other people, and they're sending them out, right? You see what's happening here? There's an insight. You know, Jesus wants to reach the world, but it wasn't just magic. It wasn't like, okay, let's like, uh, you know, that's Maybe I can get like a yeah, three years. Maybe I can get a church of five hundred nice people that will, you know, come to church once a week and get their kids to marry other people like them. No, no, he's reaching the world. Okay, and it's not just like oh I wonder how it's going to work out. No, he's got a strategy. Will we work his strategy? What he's saying: send him out two by two. Like Greg said, don't keep them all in church all the time. So busy they can't do anything else. Send them out two by two and let them minister to people together and start other things. You see? And then the kingdom spreads with multiplication. Okay? That's key. Interesting that that would be in the gospel that emphasizes equipping. Now back to our story. Now in John 4, the Samaritans love Jesus. But here, they reject the disciples and Jesus. Why? Because he's heading. Oh, did I read that yet? Yes? No. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Okay, back to the story. Okay, here we go. Luke 9, um, verse 52. He sent messengers on ahead. Same idea, right? They kind of prepped the ground. Who went into Samaritan villages, uh, a Samaritan village, to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem, which they didn't like because there's this big uh, tension between them. Um, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, well, Lord, uh, do you want us to call down on fire from heaven to destroy him, maybe? What do you think? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. Okay, yeah, no, just, no, we don't want to do that. Okay so. okay, so they reject the disciples and Jesus because he's heading to Jerusalem. The Samaritans are half-Jewish and they're intermarried with pagans. They're seen as both uh, racially and spiritually inferior. And there's a mutual hostility. Jesus wants to broaden his ministry at this time, as his time on earth closes, but it doesn't work. Luke doesn't dwell on the fact that the Samaritans didn't respond. He, he dwells on the disciples' reaction. Should we call down fire? Now they're thinking of 2 Kings chapter 1, where um, Elijah does this. The disciples... Are giving a, a fleshly response to racial, cultural, ethnic differences. You reject me, I'll reject you first, and I'm really going to. I'm going to get fire from God on you. Yeah. Jesus rebukes them. Why? Remember last week, Isaiah 61. Now this is real. This is an age of grace, even for those who are rejecting the gospel. And I want to get into a lot of personal detail here, but you, you know, some of you know our family story, and there are people that are, are just that really, you know, really resist the gospel. And it would be very, and you know, there's people in our culture that really resist the gospel. So what do we say about them? How do we respond to them? Have you seen responses by Christians on Facebook or Instagram that make you cringe? Here's the thing. When people reject you or Jesus or the two combined... How we respond paints a lasting picture of the church in their minds. And so you get videos of angry Christians, this certain subpopulation, rah, 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 God hates. That becomes the picture of the church. Boy, be wise in a media generation. I posted something on Facebook once. I just thought it was kind of fun. It was kind of kind of neocon. It wasn't like even something I necessarily bought into by the industry. I had a non-Christian cousin responding within minutes. I thought, I'm never putting anything on Facebook again. That is not the love of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the truth. I don't know about your, your pages, but mine go around the world in less than seven minutes. And I'm realizing I cannot afford to have somebody misunderstand who Jesus is based on what I've posted just in fun. Nope, I'm not doing it. So do we want the face of angry Christians on TV or the internet? What does Jesus do? How does he respond to Jerusalem's rejection? He bawls. If only you knew what could have happened. It's the age of grace and of broken hearts. How we respond to rejection paints a permanent picture of the church. Let's make it a picture of grace and beauty and of a broken heart for those in need. One more response that Luke gives us. And let's look at verse 57. Now, this is kind of interesting. Okay. See if this reminds you of anybody. Maybe yourself. No, hopefully not. Verse 57 on to the end of the chapter, Luke 9. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, okay, but foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. <laughs> okay, just, just you know. <laughs> okay, great. He said to another man, well, follow me. The man said, well, uh, sure, but let me go and bury my father. Listen to this. <laughs> Jesus said, I'll let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoa, <laughs> okay. Still another said, well, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. That's not a good translation. It's, um, let me go back and settle my affairs. There's a business nuance to the word used here. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Ooh. The so first man's willing to follow, but uh, Jesus makes sure, you know, you're not signing up for a place in the palace here, right? No permanent secure destination. No, no permanent secure destination this side of heaven. How does that make you feel? Okay? No permanent secure destination this side of heaven. You okay still? You gonna come back next week? <laughs> it's truth. Second man prioritizes family and Jesus calls him to put discipleship above family. Let the dead bury their own dead. Whoo, Jesus, nice guy. Third man wants to tie up loose ends, probably economic, to take care of my affairs. Let me go get set for retirement, then I'll do ministry. So you could read this and say, well, Jesus, you're getting kind of unfair. What, you know, what's going on here, right? Let him join the church, you know? <laughs> but again, what, what is Jesus offering? Radical discipleship with a single-minded vision for the kingdom. I said this earlier, but I'll say it again here. He's not trying to build a church of 500 people who will live a little better, meet once a week to pray, and make sure their kids marry people just like them. I'm a Christian parent. I understand that temptation. That's not what he's out to do. He's out to convert the world. He's still out to convert the world. He's still out to convert the world. The North American church, that's us, we have freedom, money, education, and opportunity. He's out to convert the world, and he gives a, a radical wisdom and vision of what can be and what is, and the motivation to speak and live and demonstrate the kingdom. So now I'm gonna go back to the two applications I was talking about earlier. There's two ways to live this out. The immediate and the long term. And they're both valid. Two questions that you want to be asking Jesus every day. Lord, what can I do? Who can I speak to? How can I move your kingdom forward? Right? And that's an everyday question. So, you know, Brian and Peg were coming home from an outreach and they wound up having this amazing conversation because they were attuned to the Holy Spirit and God sovereignly led them. That happens. When you say, Lord, I'm open, that happens. But again, it also is a long-term, thoughtful kind of question. You say, Lord, what can I give myself to in order to bring your kingdom into this world? That's strategic thinking. Thoughtful. What can I do today to prepare to build your kingdom? And maybe something will bear fruit 10 years from now. So Greg was speaking about something like that. We're saying, you know, uh, what if, the emerging world markets and the the, uh, two-thirds world markets, what if they didn't have the garbage for movies that we have in Hollywood? Hallelujah, right? So Greg says, that's a vision that's not gonna happen in a day, so there's a long-term obedience as well. So sometimes when we say, I'm gonna follow Jesus, we have a very like, okay, I've gotta like, you know, pray and okay, every day, and I wonder if he wants me to talk to this teller or this, uh, you know, this person here. Well, that's good, right? But it's not just, it's also the, what have you equipped? What has God equipped you to do? What relationships has He strategically placed you in? What can you do that might not have instant fruit this week, but as you give yourself to week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year, that, that only could happen if you are obedient? You see that? There's both every day walking with Jesus, but there's the long-term recognizing God's got his hand on you, everyone in this room. Now, if you're a little on the front end of life, you might be, I'm not sure what that is. That's okay. Every time you obey, every time you step out, you get a little clearer, right? And when people give you feedback, right? So, I mean, Keith was with me for this, all right? I tried everything as a student and he was with me in most of it, <laughs> right? And so, you know, let's try preaching on the street corner. I mean, we did it every single week. I mean, in 20 below weather, you know, right across the little walkover bridge toward Kaufman Union, you, know, you have know what I'm talking about, right? You know what, how much fruit did we see? Okay, so, you know, we realized, okay, this is probably not the thing, okay? So maybe you think we're done, but, you know, I just stand on a snowbank, oh, you know, talk about Jesus, nobody listened. Okay, so that didn't work. So, you know, I don't do that anymore, <laughs> Right? But in other stuff, and people say, hey, when you did that, that was really good. Oh, that really helped me. Oh. Right? So if you're on the front end of life, you might be like it. You try stuff out, right? You take a step. You don't have a word from God. You just try. And wow, you see good fruit. Okay. Brothers and sisters, you know, they they say, Yeah, that was really cool. Do that again. And 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 as we go, then pretty soon we're getting a long-term vision of how God wants to use us. Right? those that are not as young you may know some of that and you had a disappointment you had a discouragement or maybe you were wounded by the church and you've kind of hung back I just want to encourage you let the grace of God heal your soul and step out again and continue that journey so the final response to Jesus that they give is is kind of equivocation we don't want to do that (laughs) not our response so in, in conclusion here with Peter when you recognize who Jesus is when you really see who he is to give up all and follow it's just obvious secondly like the Samaritans in this passage you're going to have some people that reject Jesus don't let that be the final word understand we're going to keep loving him and then asking Jesus every day and every year, how can I join you, Lord, in making disciples? So I want to invite you this morning to stand and to give up meaningless things and to build this kingdom. Let's join Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. Let's pray together. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everyone in this room, and those in live stream, want to encourage you. Maybe get a little bit quiet in the room you're in. There could be even some kids, some adolescents. And these things are kind of new, thinking about how am I gonna really walk with Jesus? What is it gonna mean to follow him in daily life? So right now we're gonna pray about that. Holy Spirit, we're inviting you into our lives right now. We're asking you come in, and certainly for those that don't know you, or don't know you well, Refresh, bring new life, encourage. But Holy Spirit, we're asking you to come in and begin to teach us how to walk. The daily, short-term, those little nudges, be a sense we might get in our thoughts or uh, just an impression and we we talk with someone or we give a gift or we reach out in some way. Lord, as we're all before you right now, I ask for each one that you would just put faces in their minds right now or names, people that you're putting before them in these days. But Lord, we also pray for the long term. Some know, some are still kind of figuring out to join a team or help kids in poverty or evangelism team or you know something just kind of figuring out where they fit Father we pray in Jesus name that you would have a growing desire in each heart around your purposes and calling and gifts in their lives that as we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow you, that, that following would have meaning you begin to clarify where that means